0: Welcome to the Free To Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. I'm your host, Megan McCorkle. This podcast series features conversations with leaders and innovators having a positive impact in our city. Let's get started. Your journey starts here. Once you learn to read, you will be forever free. That quote from Frederick Douglass is etched in stone on the side of the Enoch Pratt Central Library the library is a place devoted to helping people learn. That's why this year, the Free to Be More podcast is focusing on leaders who are making a difference in education in our city. As the first elected African-American mayor, he branded Baltimore the city that reads and helped make strides in adult literacy. Today, Kurt Schmoke leads the University of Baltimore. The Baltimore Sun calls him the closest thing to a genuine hometown hero. Kurt Schmoke, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thanks for the invitation. I appreciate it.
0: I get a little tongue-tied around you because I'm not sure whether to call you Mr. Mayor, Mr. President, the Honorable. Which one do you prefer?
1: No, I'm just Kurt these days. That's how (laughs) I started before I started accumulating titles. Um, But um, my assistant, I've been very blessed to have a woman named Joanne Kess work with me uh, since 1983. So she's gone through various Mr. State's Attorney, then Mr. Mayor, then Mr. Dean, (laughs) and Mr. President. So we had that conversation, and it's just Kurt. Just right. Kurt. Yeah, okay. So I'm happy with that.
0: There we go. I can remember that. Right. <laughs> so this season we are focused on education, and in your four decades of public service today as a university president, how has education really played a role in your life?
1: I've been very fortunate to have uh, parents, both of whom were college graduates. Mm-hmm. So there was an expectation that I would go to college, from, and that was conveyed to me from a very early age. And when I came back uh, to Baltimore and started to think about a career in public service, people asked me, what's made the difference in my life? And I say, besides having two great uh, parents, mm-hmm. it was education. And that's what I was uh, hoping for when I ran for mayor, to convey to the community that we had to commit ourselves to lifelong learning and that education, a good education, was going to make the biggest difference in the lives of our young people and thus the lives of people throughout the city, I mean, the quality of life in, in the city. So that was uh, the, the uh, commitment. And I've been very fortunate to be able to uh, pursue that in different, uh, you know, as mayor, as dean of the law school, and uh, working at Howard, and now at University of Baltimore.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to take it all the way back. You talked about young people. Uh, when you were eight years old, you <laughs> were telling <laughs> people you wanted to be mayor. So how Talk did you know? Talk about the
1: definition of a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> That's How did you know
0: that when you were so young that that was something you'd want to do? Um,
1: now, this was the positive impact of television. For reasons uh, that escaped me, I started watching political things on television mm-hmm. at uh, a very young age. And it just so happened that a person that I came to admire, uh, Theodore McKeldin, who had been governor of uh, Maryland and mayor of of Baltimore I happened to meet him on the street, uh, downtown on Light Street, and I was standing uh, at the corner of uh, on Light Street with my uh, mother. I look up, I see this guy, and I, you know, reach out and I said, are you Governor uh, McKeldin? And he had his grovelly voice and he said, yes, son, <laughs> and he pushed his hand down and he shook my hand. And uh, I said, boy, I'm going to be like that guy one day. And uh, I was just impressed with him and... Uh, fell into an an interest in politics. So I kind of knew that I wanted to be involved. I wasn't quite sure what I actually wanted to do until much later, Mm -hmm. but uh, I knew that that was something that I wanted to pursue.
0: Mm-hmm. you talk about your mom um, yeah. and she was a social worker
1: yeah she actually was uh worked in the same office with Barbara Mikulski. <laughs> uh, she and Barbara uh sorry Senator mikulski <laughs> were um, early on in uh, dealing with uh, adoptions and things like that mm-hmm. um so uh, they were in the, the, the same office and the senator you know tells embarrassing stories about me <laughs> from time <laughs> to time uh, but uh yeah the they worked at the old Department of Public Welfare that then became Human Services. But she was really committed to that, uh, having uh, gotten her degree was from um, Spelman College and Morgan State University and then a, a Master's of Social Work from the University of Pennsylvania. So she was really committed uh, to that. And I know early on I helped her a lot because uh, a lot of the clerical things that she had to do, you know, putting the right file and the the right paper in the right file. I did that for her mm-hmm. while she's studying. For her master's degree, so I should get an assist.
0: <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like seeing her commitment to helping people day in and day out led to you wanting to be in public service?
1: Well, I'm sure it had some uh, effect, uh, both uh, and my father. My father was a chemist uh, for civilian chemists for the Army, so uh, both of them had government jobs. And both were very active in their churches. In fact, they went to two different uh, uh, churches. So I I would say I had uh, great examples um, in front of me, but nobody was talking about an elected uh-huh. <laughs> uh, office. I was the only one talking about sure. uh, uh, running uh, for office. But uh, the fact that they set that kind of example for me, both in their education and in their commitment to service uh, to people, I'm sure, had an impact on me.
0: Mm-hmm. Getting into those mayoral years, you ran on the platform of making Baltimore the city that reads. Right. Um How much progress did we make in that commitment to adult literacy? And how much further do you feel like we need to go?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I was, uh, you know, the the thing that really affected me when I campaigned, I looked at Baltimore and I said, my goodness, in 1967, when I graduated high school, the largest private employer was the Bethlehem Steel Corporation, Mm -hmm. Sparrows Point Plant. 1987, when I ran for mayor... The largest private employer was Johns Hopkins University and Health System. Mm-hmm. So it meant that we had jobs in Baltimore. That wasn't the issue whether there were jobs. It was the type of jobs mm-hmm. that we had that had changed so dramatically so that you could drop out of high school in 1967 and still live a middle-class life mm-hmm. by going down to the Sparrows Point and, you know, working a little overtime. Uh, it it good-paying Living wage jobs, yep. but if you dropped out in 1987, uh, your job prospects were very different. Your career opportunities, your, the impact on families, were quite negative. So that's why I um, wanted to talk about a commitment to lifelong learning and uh, the city that reads. Um, now, what I the explanation that I just gave you couldn't go on a bumper sticker, so <laughs> we came up with the slogan, uh, "The City That Reads," mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, we made some progress. I, I wanted to uh, improve elementary and secondary education, uh, improve the community college, and uh, uh, improve the Pratt. Mm-hmm. I mean, because that was, uh, you know, nationally recognized, you know, great library system. Mm-hmm. But at the time, it had branches that were structured for a city of 900,000 people. And we, at the time I became mayor, were about 750,000 mm-hmm. people. So we had to uh, make some... Some, some changes. So we, you know, we made progress. Um, I know that uh, the, the Pratt is doing great uh, now and there's been consistent commitment by, you know, mayors over the years um, uh, to the Pratt. Community College is now in much better shape than it was uh, years ago because okay. we were able to cut a deal with the state to have the state assume the cost of it. So Baltimore City Community College is the only community college in the state that's a state aid. Agency, not a local uh, agency. But the challenges that we face are still in elementary and secondary education. And the reason for the big challenge is that so much of the funding in elementary and secondary education comes from local taxes. Mm -hmm. And if you're a poor jurisdiction, you don't get as much money as uh, a wealthier jurisdiction. And as much as people don't like to hear it, money makes a difference Mm -hmm. um, in terms of uh, the education opportunities that you can afford young people.
0: Mm -hmm. Why do you feel like it is so important to really catch kids in those younger years when it comes to get them to become lifelong learners.
1: They're they're so creative. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the thing. If you look at uh, young people, you know, kindergarten through third grade, you know, they all kind of accomplish the same thing. They learn quickly. They absorb uh, so much. They're curious. They... Basically, you don't have any negative views uh, of the world, so they're open to a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. And what the studies have shown is that after a third grade, uh, things start to diverge. If you're not in a jurisdiction that has good quality education, uh, you start to fall behind those that are in the uh, more affluent uh, jurisdiction. So that's why it's important to do things early. Uh, you know, I, I one thing that I rarely put on my resume is that uh, as a junior in college, I opened a daycare center uh, <laughs> in, in New Haven. It's still in operation. It's in its wow. 49th year of oh operation. My gosh. And, uh, but it really just showed you that, you know, that I recognized early on that education at the earliest possible age was so important and it was going to make a big difference. And, yeah, I'm real proud of that. Uh, it's called the Calvin Hill Daycare Center and Kitty Lustman Finling <laughs> Kindergarten. Oh, <laughs> and it's, a, it's in an old um, converted fire station in uh, New Haven.
0: Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. The Free to Be More podcast is a production of the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Get a library card without leaving your home. The new Pratt eCard allows users to access ebooks, e audiobooks, streaming movies, TV, databases, and more. Get yours today at prattlibrary.org. I've heard you call Baltimore um, a tale of two cities, and you've touched on that a little bit, but explain why you feel like the city kind of has a dividing line.
1: Now, I know um, many of my colleagues in um, public service don't like me to talk about it in in that fashion, but, you know, what I try to explain to people, I say, just look physically for a moment. If you're downtown in Baltimore at the Inner Harbor Mm -hmm. and you walk uh, five or six blocks, east or west, you see some of the best in, in urban America. America with uh, uh, just the great architecture, museums, a lot of uh, wonderful things that people associate with a thriving city. But if you go 10 to 12 blocks uh, east or west, you start to see some of the real troubling parts of urban America Uh, poverty the high concentration of, of very poor uh, people, and we have the largest concentration of welfare recipients than any other jurisdiction mm-hmm. uh, in the state. So in that respect, it is a tale of two cities, a, a tale of a wealthier part and a poorer part, and we have to address both sides.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that division and the amount of poverty we have in our city plays into the rate of violence that we continue to see and that we continue yeah. to struggle with in Baltimore?
1: Yeah. Absolutely correct. Um, Lena Nguyen, Dr. Nguyen, uh, summarizes it very well when she reminds us uh, in her words that hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. And that's the point, the the people who are hurting by poverty and stress and all the other challenges and unemployment, poor housing, things like that that that's a prescription for people lashing out. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, the majority of those folks are simply striving in a legitimate way to improve their lives, but there are just a lot of other young people who are hurt by those forces, those stresses that lash out in negative ways. And yeah, if we could address some of those issues and relieve some of that hurt, then uh, we will see those numbers uh, in violence and particularly in homicide go down.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the big issues that you tackled when you were mayor was the crack cocaine epidemic, right. um, and you really wanted to focus on a more holistic approach. Yeah. And now with the opioid epidemic, we are seeing that movement towards the holistic approach. Is there a satisfaction or something that you get when you well, see that yeah. there is a shift nationally towards looking at it as a health issue rather right. than a criminal issue?
1: Well, that's what I tried to convey, mm-hmm. that uh, You can't uh, prosecute and incarcerate your way out of addiction because uh, that was, uh, you know, it's a health issue and you needed um, health intervention. You know, I I shorthanded it by saying that the war on drugs should be led by the Surgeon General, not the Attorney General. Mm -hmm. But um, I didn't get many takers (laughs) at that time (laughs) back then. (laughs) then. I mean, uh, you know, I am I was pleased to see some movement and it was led by some leaders in the state you know we showed that there was a connection uh, between people using dirty needles and intravenous drug use Mm -hmm. and the spread of aids Mm -hmm. and we proposed that we have a sterile a so-called needle exchange yep. program. Um, there was a law that was against that uh, in in Maryland, and it took us four years of discussion with the state legislature and the governor uh, in order to, just to get a three year study to implement a pilot program. It was uh, for three years, but we came back and, and demonstrated by. Um, Uh, review by the uh, Bloomberg School of Public Health that showed that we had dramatically reduced the spread of AIDS without increasing uh, drug use. And so the legislature then extended the program. And now, you know, needle exchange programs in many American cities, but we were uh, first. But that that was a a sign to other states that maybe health interventions Mm -hmm. made more sense than just incarcerating uh, people what's happened more recently and you know and a lot of people will say well this is all politics but the bottom line is that the drug problem was perceived back in the seven in in the 80s and the 90s as being an inner city yep. problem of people of color mm-hmm. and the opioid epidemic is not nope. it is viewed as my neighbor mm-hmm. uh, somebody it's not those people it's it's all of us mm-hmm. and so there now is a response of you know, how can we help these folks? How sure. can we it's we can yeah, we can lock up everybody with a uh, an addiction problem to opioid. So, you know, I'm glad when I hear more elected officials talking about health strategies first mm-hmm. rather than uh, law enforcement strategy, I, I think that's going to be better for all of us.
0: Looking for a career change or a new opportunity, stop by the Pratt Library Job and Career Center. Get resume help, interview assistance, and job search tips all for free. The new Job and Career Center at the Pratt Central Library, 400 Cathedral Street. You're free to be more at the Pratt. I'm going to move a little bit more from uh, the past to the present. As a president of UB, you've been there about five years now. So how have you seen the university change and grow in those past five years?
1: University of Baltimore is one of the great hidden gems of the state.
0: (laughs) You don't want (laughs) it to be hidden. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, No, let let me just uh, say why why we're unique and and Mm -hmm. why I am so pleased to be there. University of Baltimore started in 1925, as a merger of a night law school and a night business school. So it's always been very career oriented. Mm-hmm. And that is our remains our focus. Our slogan is knowledge that works. Mm-hmm. So we have a population that's a little bit older than most universities. Average age of our undergraduates is 28. The average age of our graduate students, 32. Mm -hmm. Uh, These are people, most of our students are transfers from community college Mm -hmm. or people that have gone away for like their freshman year at a a four-year institution and said, ah, no, I really want to be back home. Um, So we get those as transfers. But overwhelmingly, it's a transfer population and it's working adults. so we um, deal with a, a population of real strivers, people that are, are focused there, there at the university because they know it's going to have a direct impact on their lives. Um, we There's a social mobility index that is published every year, and it shows that UB has a positive impact on moving people up the economic ladder mm-hmm. who uh, obtain their degrees there. So, um, you know, we're we're excited to be uh, in business of of dealing with working adults, and we're an anchor institution. I mean, right in the heart of, you know, the Mount Vernon uh, area, right across the street from the the train station, Uh, it is something that people see. It's the UB welcomes you to Baltimore. And I I think that it uh, contributes a a great deal in a lot of different ways, not only uh, intellectually and then the economic uh, impact, but most recently, for example, we have the police department moving their education and training. Training or so-called police academy into the campus of UB. And that's going to help because studies have shown all over uh, the United States that the more educated your police department mm-hmm. uh, is, uh, the fewer complaints you get, fewer complaints of abuse. You get a much more professional uh, organization. And so we think we're part of the solution for a major problem facing uh, Baltimore by having the academy uh, on our campus. So we're, we're looking forward to that.
0: Yeah, UB is certainly an anchor institution. How do you feel like the university gives back to the community?
1: We give back in a number of ways. Um, just uh, give you two uh, quick examples, we have um, a program, uh, summer academy and a dual enrollment program with our high schools. Mm-hmm. So we've reached down to the, the high schools and give young people uh, a sense of what it's like to be a a college student, and dual enrollment uh, actually allows them to get college credits. We go to them on that program, the summer program. They come Uh uh, to us, but it just lifts the vision of a lot of young people who never thought about going uh, to college, and uh, so that's just one program, and then we have a program called Second Chance, where we have a four-credit program in Jessup Prison, the Jessup Correction Institute. 35 young men who are there. They're within two years of release. They are in uh, fully uh, four-credit uh, programs. They love it. They, It's like they literally understand they've got a second chance wow. now to g- finish uh, their uh, degrees. They will come out um and be able to transfer directly into uh, UB or take our programs online, but they'll be able to get a uh, a four-year college uh, degree. And so that's making a a big difference. Uh, Again, young people who didn't think that they had much hope Mm -hmm. or or might uh, uh, repeat once uh, sure. uh, now, going to come out with some skills and the opportunity to get a degree.
0: And sometimes I think it's just that exposure to a university environment that hooks oh, them. Ab-
1: absolutely, it's um, you know uh, people are demonstrating that they care about these young uh, mm-hmm. folks, and uh, I think it's going to uh, you know have an impact not only on the so-called returning citizens, but it's going to have an impact on their families, uh, too. So those are just a couple of ways. I mean, in, in, you know, our faculty are very involved in a lot of different uh, programs in the city. We our, our research on some social ills have been used by candidates um, uh, for our office. Mm-hmm. We consult with the city council on a variety of things. And, of course, in the business community, our business school, um, produces a a large number of accountants in particular who go on to uh, become business leaders in the community. So we're very involved in, uh, you know, I forgot to mention the law school. They would
0: Jesus, they, <laughs> they,
1: they would come down and criticize That's me for okay. that. But, you know, the state of Maryland only has two law schools, mm-hmm. and we have one of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, about a third of the judges in the state are graduates of the University of Baltimore. And we're very excited about not only the physical facility, it's a great uh, lead platinum uh, building, but what goes on in there, just producing leaders in the law mm-hmm. uh, and uh, in business.
0: Yeah. Um, this summer, you uh, made a proposal to create the City University of Baltimore. So, explain to me a little bit about what that is and how you think it would benefit you, be, and some of the other um, colleges and universities in the city.
1: Right. Well, the institutions of higher education in the city uh, have to think about the disruption in higher education and the fact that the status quo can't remain the same. We've got to change. And there is this lawsuit, as you probably know, that's been going on for 13 years Mm -hmm. now (laughs) related to the uh, historically black colleges Mm -hmm. and, and universities. And a part of the remedy that some people propose uh, in that lawsuit was taking bits and pieces of other universities, taking them apart, mm-hmm. or merging us with another institution. And there are just so many problems with uh, 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 mergers that we ought to look at another option. Mm-hmm. Another option that exists is what I call a structured collaboration, mm-hmm. and the classic model is the City University of New York. Mm-hmm. City University of New York's got 25 institutions. They didn't merge. They, they're they still distinct. There's a John Jay College and a Baruch College and a Medgar Evers College and a Graduate Center. But they have a central administration. So just think about all the non side, the business side mm-hmm. of running an institution could be centralized. Mm-hmm. And so you'd get more efficiencies. Uh, That way you could operate uh, uh, that aspect of it from uh, technology to uh, basic procurement, food service. I mean, all kinds of Mm -hmm. things. So it would be the business side of the university operations that would be centralized. And then... You could also avoid program duplication by having some central authority looking over if somebody proposed to do a history of Baltimore, um, and you could say, well, wait a minute, this institution already has that, so why do you have to have uh, two of uh, these programs, particularly now with technology, when you can do online synchronous learning. So somebody sitting over at Coppen could take a course mm-hmm. that you'd be while sitting at, at Coppin. But you can only do that if there's a coordinating body. And right now we don't have that coordination. So I looked at the... City University of New York model and thought that that would make sense uh, for Baltimore. Now, some people ask me, why didn't I include Morgan uh, in my proposal? My proposal has uh, UB, Coppin, and the Baltimore City Community College. Uh And the main reason for not proposing uh, Morgan is that uh, Morgan... uh, Is now outside of the university system of Maryland, Uh and they would like to remain. So under my proposal, we would stay within the university system because, again, in New York, CUNY is a part of SUNY. Mm -hmm. City University (laughs) in New York is a part of the State State University University, New York system. That's the model that I like. Um, let's see where it goes. Yay. I'm hoping that the legislature will at least create a study of this to see whether it makes sense. But the status quo is just unacceptable. We've got to do things that are uh, respond to the, the changes and the disruption that's going on in higher education.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to go back to sort of Baltimore as a whole. Uh, you've described yourself as a recovering politician. That's—I call myself a recovering journalist sometimes. So, do you feel like there's I'm also
1: a recovering lawyer?
0: <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like there's ever a chance anything that could drag you back into politics? Are you happy in the higher? Ed- I'm glad you education used
1: the field? term "drag you back." <laughs> it, um, you know, I, I don't have the desire to run for office at this time and you know I had opportunities I, I seriously looked at um when Paul Sarbanes uh, uh-huh. stepped down uh the uh, possibility of running for the United States Senate but uh I was very happy at Howard mm-hmm. University at the time. And I also concluded that it was going to cost about $10 million to do that. Mm-hmm. And if I was going to raise $10 million, it was going to go to scholarships sure. for students, not for uh political advertising. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's when I could tell it was starting to get out of my system. (laughs) Uh, But uh, no, I right now like to view myself as somebody that's nurturing a new generation Mm -hmm. of uh, leaders, uh, both in the private and the public sector, and um, that that's what I should be doing and not uh, running for office myself.
0: (laughs) Yes, it feels like a higher calling, right, to nurture the next generation. It's
1: the right calling at the right time. (laughs) Yes, exactly.
0: This is going to be a big political year for Baltimore with yeah. the mayor's race a bit wide open. What kind of leadership do you feel like is needed running the city right now?
1: Yeah, well, it ought to be an interesting uh, race. We're going to have a lot of candidates. Yeah. I mean, if you think that the Democrats have a lot of presidential candidates running, <laughs> Um the city of Baltimore is going to have uh, uh, that and more uh, running for for mayor. And one of the reasons uh, is that uh, the city doesn't have a runoff. And so mm-hmm. somebody could win the next, uh, could become mayor uh, with uh, 30% of the vote. Mm-hmm. I mean, I looked at the numbers recently, and in the last election, Catherine Pew won with 37 percent of the of the vote. Mm -hmm. Um, So the possibility of somebody getting in would just get great name recognition. Sure. Of 10, 12, 14 candidates. Um, It'll invite a lot of candidates. But to answer your question, uh, my hope is that. Uh, the uh, the candidates will understand that, you know, elections are about the future. Mm-hmm. And so that they will come in with a plan and kind of a vision and that uh, people, they will allow people to focus on their vision for the future and not just on their personality. Mm-hmm. Um, so they'll lay out a program and uh, people will have an opportunity to judge the specifics of the program, so I think that it's going to be a, a different type of election uh, than we've we've seen in the past. There seems to be a hunger out there in the community for a different uh, vision, a different approach to problems.
0: It'll be very interesting. Oh, it will. Um,
1: you know, the, the thing about it too. What? Can, and this is just a kind of a technical issue, mm-hmm. but um, unlike the t- when I ran for mayor, when we you had uh, the mayor's race was separate. It wasn't in the same year as the state election. It wasn't in the same year as the presidential election. Well, now it's going to be in the same year as the presidential election, yes. which means that there's a fall off in the vote, because if if you have competitive congressional races that on the ballot, mm-hmm. Congress comes before the mayor's mm-hmm. race. So you have a fall off in vote. And uh, again, that. Uh, mischief can be made yeah. because then you'll have a smaller number of people and you're just trying to get to a plurality. So, who, I mean, my goodness, uh, <laughs> you're inviting a lot of people into it's this race. It's
0: going to be interesting. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, one of my last questions is. Um, This year, Baltimore has gotten a lot of criticism, specifically from our neighbors down in Washington, D.C., about about our city. Great. What do you want nationally people to know about the city of Baltimore?
1: We should invite them to the Enoch Pratt Library. That's the key. We ought to show them our best, put our best foot forward. And I would hope that uh, some of these uh, national uh, elected officials would actually come and spend a little bit more time than just helicoptering and Mm -hmm. and leaving, because there are a lot of great things uh, going on in the the city. And uh, it's often difficult to get the best stories out when something great could happen, and then the next night there's another shooting. Mm-hmm. That's our challenge. and mm-hmm. uh, But my, my hope is that uh, some of the great stories, um, what people are doing, some of the uh, uh, great activities that are going on in our community, will have the light shined on it by uh, national press. And that'll be up to us to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Kurt Schmoke, Mr. Mayor, Mr. <laughs> President, <laughs> right, the Honorable. You. Kurt, thank you so much thank for you. joining us. Thank you. I do us. appreciate <laughs> it.
1: Support for the Free to Be More podcast is provided by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. Children fifth grade or younger can sign up for the Read to Reef book club every October and March. The partnership with the National Aquarium helps kids learn more about our environment. Read five aquatic themed books from the Pratt Library and win four free passes to the aquarium. Pick up your Read to Reef bookmark during October or March at your Pratt Library branch. Numbers are limited. More information at prattlibrary.org.
0: I'm Megan McCorkle, and you've been listening to the Free To Be More podcast by the Enoch Pratt Free Library. You can follow The Pratt on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next month for another Free To Be More conversation. Thanks for listening.